0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back for a special edition of the Sports Pro Stream Time podcast. This is our 50th episode. I'm Chris Stone, your community-leaded sports pro, joined, as always, by our CEO, Nick Meacham. Nick, 50, we made it
1: we made it i didn't even realize it was coming and then all of a sudden i looked on our uh, distribution platform and noticed that 49 was up so like oh shit we've got to do something um but yeah it's what a what a ride it's been lots of great people on the pod learned a lot about how to create podcasts what works what doesn't um made plenty of errors along the way got myself in a bit of trouble got some people in a bit of trouble it's been quite a ride
0: yeah, well, I would I read a statistic, you know, everyone thinks of podcasting as being a very oversaturated medium, you know, there's the joke that all oh, everyone's got a podcast, but something like 99% of all podcasts never produce more than 3 episodes. So, you know, out of pure longevity, I mean, we're just absolutely smashing it.
1: That that is a pretty crazy stat. It just shows it's a it's a pretty common thing you see in the media landscape, though. Like everyone wants to be a thought leader, everyone wants to produce content. It's actually really hard to create stuff consistently. That's why there's media companies that do it. And that's why we work at a media company and do this stuff for uh for a job. So lucky that we can do this stuff and i'm pretty pretty chuffed that we've been able to get to to this point uh and it has flown by uh, which is a bit cliche but it really it really has i sort of felt like we we're only halfway to that number but we're already at this point and learn a lot over the last last 12 months uh, about the industry as well and spoken to some really cool people which has given us a, a new i guess a new look at things around the, the digital and streaming space uh in sports
0: for those of you sitting at home, you know you obviously won't see the video, but I do want to confirm that Nick and I have managed to do this in person. We are sat in the same room to do it together. Uh, it doesn't happen with all of our podcasts, but for the 50th, it had to be done. Um, and even more importantly, I can't confirm we have a beer in hand just to really properly celebrate the moment, you know, to cheers across the room. So I'm going to take a drink real quick. <laughs> you know, just to bask in the, uh, the relationship that has come from this. I, I, I like to think of myself as Scotty. He's Michael. Um, but however you want to compare us, that's fine.
1: Oh, that is a very dramatic comparison, but hey, I'll take it because I didn't make it. But uh, yeah, it's quite weird actually to think, you know, particularly as this podcast, a lot of it started in the, the COVID times that we actually didn't record that many, less than a handful, I think, probably in person over this time. So good that we can do a few more of these now together, that is for sure.
0: Absolutely. Well, you know, doing a 50th episode only seems right to maybe take a look back at episodes sort of one through 49 and... As you mentioned, it has been a lot of great people to join the Streamtime podcast so far. But do you have a few that, that may be sick out for you? Maybe a couple of funny stories, anything that you'd want to highlight to, you know, if they've, of course, anyone listening to this episode is probably loyal, probably already listened to it anyways. But, you know, perhaps if someone's just stumbling into episode 50 out of order, you know, maybe give them some of the
1: highlights for, for you personally or some of the funny things that have happened along the way. Well, I mean, we have learned a lot about the industry. We'll dig into some trends and stuff that we are following pretty shortly, but um, some funnier moments, I guess, or yes, more quirky anecdotes. I remember uh, speaking with Blake Stukin, who's uh, at the NFL in their their media team, VP of media, I think, and he was using his daughter's pink microphone to do the interview, uh, and that actually ran out of battery halfway, so we had to re-record that, which was quite a funny thing, because it was a really cool one of these like karaoke mics. So I had, uh, fortunately or unfortunately for him, uh, I ran out at the right time, so I couldn't use the clips from that interview uh, on the recording uh, to publish after the fact. I mean, the other couple of, couple of examples are, uh, I spoke to John Miller, who's a you know, 20, 30-year veteran at NBC on the sports uh, programming side, uh, who talked about how they created the dog show, which actually was one of their most successful uh, sports assets they created. And that was created out of scratch. We had Kenny Gersh from the MLB recently who we discovered halfway through the pod is uh, a big board ape yacht club and a is web3 nft guru I'll go check out his stuff on twitter um then a certain and a few things that I've said which have got me in a little bit of trouble with a few different people uh in the industry one uh, sports executive even hunted me down at one of our events to to give me a uh, a clarification, a polite clarification on uh, my take being incorrect, which I did really appreciate. At least, nothing, nonetheless, just to know that some people were listening. And then there was the incident where I caused, uh, well, we caused a bit of a stir when uh, uh, Matt, uh, Phil Lynch, we spoke to Phil Lynch from Man United, and uh, what, some of the comments that he said and were shared uh, on social were taken by Gary Neville and run with, and he's got quite an audience of. A followers uh through social which led to a quite a surge in our audiences for that particular pod uh generating several million views of the video online so i've actually apologized to phil for that because uh it was definitely not the intent but uh, it's been definitely a roller coaster uh that to say the least
0: interesting with the, the phil lynch one in particular, you know, my role is community lead, you know, on a day-to-day basis. I'm just having phone calls with executives across the industry and it's always great to hear people reference that they are listeners to the Streamtime podcast and the amount of people that reference that Phil Lynch one and the reason they reference it is because we work in the industry. We get it. Everyone that's watched that podcast has said, I have no idea why everyone is up in arms. What Phil said is perfectly reasonable. Everyone in sports is doing it, but it just, I guess, goes to show what happens with Um, fans that's short for fanatics, they're a little bit crazy. But the amount of people that have referenced that particular podcast and just been like, I don't get the outrage.
1: Yeah, well, well, look, I mean, that podcast is a great insight, actually, in all seriousness, about how a major rights holder who doesn't have access to its premium rights can tackle the digital situation opportunity especially someone with a global reach of, of Man United. so it's definitely worth a listen um, you get a, a deep insight into how they tackle their own operated platforms, audience development, the main thing in that in that conversation that was picked on was the, the depth of their work on the social media front with their their athletes and that's what sort of was was run with and that is pretty consistent across the industry when I've talked to people that is a normal thing to do is basically to help their athletes understand what's resonating and what's not but you know one of the things you have a challenge when you have a brand like man united that is has got links with i guess a negativity around the fandom because of what's happening at the ownership level um, versus what you see what happens in manchester on the other side with city football group and they have different challenges from that point of view but because they test in public because they're constantly trying new things and they don't have that you know necessarily the breadth of the historical fandom uh, at, the, at that scale that man you do or did um they're able to get away with a lot, trying a lot more things in public and the one the one one of the major things i took away from the man united situation it's it's very similar to the premier league you know in 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 that in terms of that brand position that they can't afford to to make a step wrong they can't afford to say the wrong the wrong thing in the eyes of the fan, so it's a very tricky situation for a lot of rights holders in this space when you are trying to do these sorts of things and and help your fellow colleagues in the industry that you do have to be a little bit careful sometimes when you uh, are talking about things that fans really care about, Uh, unfortunately, but it is a really good pod to listen to. And Phil is great. uh, And I would highly recommend uh, listening to that one if you do go back.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're all worth listening to, of course, Nick, but certainly, you know, those are some of the highlights of some of the people that we've gotten to hear from, um, and there's plenty more coming. So if you've enjoyed it so far, um, there's a, we've actually got a bank of some more interviews coming with that and we'll continue to do so. Uh, one of the things we do want to do though in, in our 50th episode is have a little bit of transparency. You know, we we sit up here and people probably think that we're, we know it all. We talk about these things, but sometimes we do get it right. And sometimes we don't always get it right. And at our OTT summit that was held at uh, the Tottenham Hotspur stadium back in November, uh, we put together a little bit of a list of things that we thought we had learned. And we thought it'd be interesting to go back. We're almost 12 months later to that. So have a kind of a one year review to, to sort of see some of these topics. Some of these things we identified as trends or learnings to see what we got right, what we got wrong and just have a little bit of fun with it because there's definitely things on both sides of the fence that, uh, it's worth us coming out here and being able to say, I think if anything, to show the evidence of how fast the, the D to C and streaming space is changing, things that we consider to be fact, you know, less
1: than a year ago, they're quite the opposite now. Yeah, there's been a few things that we've had a lot more light shine uh shone on shined on Sean yeah. on i think Sean on okay my australian education coming <laughs> out there um but we've we've we understand a little bit more about what works and what doesn't in in this industry and we've seen a lot happen you know if you think about from the wider sports industry the whole web 3 movement has been a, a wild roller coaster um what we've seen in some of the major sh- big tech players um doing has been interesting but let's dig into some of those and and, and shed some more light on what we got right maybe what we got wrong yeah, well,
0: I mean, you mentioned just at the end, there was the big tech. And one of the things we talked about in, you know, sort of that late November window is we kind of thought the big tech guys weren't necessarily going to get involved. And there was all this speculation that Apple and Google and Amazon were just going to start buying up all these rights. But then we saw some of the more traditional players like ESPN getting involved or Sky, you know, gain their rights. And we just sort of thought, OK, that that was just a bit of, you know, Y2K panic a little bit. And that's not seemed to turn up that way over the last few months from deals that we've seen, and as well as rumors of what's coming next as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, the main message that we talked about, and I remember doing one of the presentations at the HFT Summit around this um, last year, was the big tech just doesn't need sports. They're too big. You know, the the scale's incredible. We're talking trillion-dollar businesses, right? Trillion-dollar businesses. They don't need sports to do what they do, especially because that's, quite frankly, sports at the top tier. is quite often a loss leader in a lot of situations, the quote-unquote loss leader, the marketing tool, when these guys can do it in other ways. Well, what we've seen the last 12 months has been pretty incredible, right? We've seen Apple do their big MLS deal. We've seen them do deals with uh, the MLB. We've seen – and the rumors galore about them potentially – up for Sunday ticket and up for a bunch of other sports rights, as well as what Amazon continued to spend and continue to make moves. And Amazon was always around, but also now we're hearing that Google might be a player for some of these premium sports rights. So things are, things are starting to shift quite heavily in that direction, in sort of the big tech direction. And, you know, it's welcomed. I think the industry has been waiting for this moment. It's sort of a few years later than what we were kind of all expecting but yeah, a lot has changed because they're starting to put money on the table, which they weren't previously seriously doing. I mean, we saw some signs that this could be happening. I think even when I did that presentation, I did caveat that they had that Apple in this instance hired the head of sports um, for Prime Video, um, Jim DiLorenzo, and they brought him a couple of years ago. And so that was kind of a, well, they wouldn't do that unless they're going to do something. But the question was what? Well, the MLS deal is sort of their first big move but it's likely that is just the beginning for them.
0: Yeah. Well, what I think is interesting is I got to sit in on our executive form that we hosted our in-person events. It's invite only sort of the C-suite type of individuals. And one of the exercises we do for fun is build your own D2C platform. This idea that they're typically locked into existing rights deals or they have legacy um, technologies for their platform. So we say, hey, blow it all up. Do it however you would want to do it if you had no restraints and you had this budget to do so. Basically how they described their platforms wasn't an OTT platform. What they were building was something akin to Amazon's platform where streaming is only just one element uh, of what the whole sports experience is from a D 2 C perspective. So even the people that work in the sports space, they're envious and perhaps seeing some of the writing on the wall that you know, we need to understand that C is not just streaming. It's That's only one part of the whole picture.
1: Well, I mean, the main the main problem that I've always had about big tech's role is that globalized versus localized approach, right? You've got most sports rights are splice and dice more, more than ever. Um, and, and so the notion that those rights are going to be used by a big global platform when they only have access to those rights in certain markets just feels like a bit of a lot of work for not necessarily much return, particularly if they're not in the quote-unquote content game or live game. Now, the MLS deal just makes complete sense from Apple's perspective. They have a global global product; they can market it globally. They have, and the upside on that deal for MLS is pretty significant. Like, if if it get that the the ceiling on that deal is the MLS rivals the Premier League in terms of status in ten years' time. Like, that is the ceiling if they get it right. Now, will that happen? That's a different ball game. I'm not saying that will happen, but that's the ceiling on that deal. Whereas all the other deals that they could they could do are incrementally scaling up their businesses. You know, the content relationships they'll have with an ESPN or an NBC, um, the traditional broadcasters allows them to create ongoing awareness through their different channels. But if this Apple deal goes right, that's where it could go, and that's kind of where that's the blue the you know, the blue sky thinking, what the dream can be, but it's never been achievable for any of these other major sports properties to do because their rights are so spliced and diced and fragmented uh, and in a very so cyclical. But the MLS had the foresight to go for it and get themselves up for this possibility. I don't know at what stage this deal was going to be done. There's a lot of nuance and speculation as to why, but all it comes down to is I'm glad they're here and it's a whole nother dimension to this. Uh, and if they do make a move for Sunday ticket, the NFL's major sort of sports set of sports rights that are still out there. And then the NBA is around the corner. All of a sudden, the game has changed.
0: Yeah, it's going to potentially change a lot of conversations we've had. So we didn't quite get that one right. And we'll probably talk a little bit more on trends that we've seen. We'll come back on to big tech. But in terms of something that, you know, we think we got right is Netflix sold us a dream, you know, we, we talked about it from a sporting perspective, and that this idea that you can build a subscription only platform is the way to go. Well, we kind of more you had said that, no, I don't see this happening in the sports world. But now even Netflix is coming out and telling us that by saying they're going to an ad based model here in the near future, because subscriptions just simply is not a sustainable business for them.
1: Yeah, when we talked about 12 months ago, looked at this, um, most businesses were now were at that point of trying to pivot into a more hybrid approach, a more broader approach than just a standard single subscription price. Um, but they still were quite strong and, and Netflix were still leading the way there. But they were the exception rather than the rule in terms of success in this. Well, now what, what have we seen is everyone, including Netflix, is making now that, that, let's call it the great pivot or the great expansion of their monetization strategies as a result of just seeing that it's hard to make those sports rights or and indeed any content rights work for you effectively without considering either advertising um, or other models, particularly as there's more and more competition than ever for people's time. Right, you know, with, you talk about social media, you talk about gaming, you talk about esports, and and whatever it might be. There's all sorts of other things pulling, particularly younger generations, in to to take their time. And as a result, it's now more competitive ev- than ever for um, people's time, and therefore for their likelihood to subscribe to more things. I mean, how many things are you going to have to subscribe to if you want to watch? Every piece of content of the MLB, you're gonna have to you have to subscribe to like seven or eight things if you're in the US. Um, now we've talked about that on on the pod recently with Kenny Gersh from from the MLB, and he paints a great picture. You know, ninety plus percent of, of content is on one or two of the main platforms. But the point is, um, it's it's complicated now, and the subscription only model does not work on a standalone to get the most value from our sports rights and Zona making moves. Subo TV have done stuff on the betting front and we're just seeing more and more in this space. So yeah, quite clearly the monetization model that Netflix and sort of launched with and made an incredible impact in our industry is dead.
0: Yeah. And like you said, you mentioned his own, you know, they talked about their subscription platform, but even they've had to to talk about moving to things like NFTs. They're now having to move to pay-per-view for boxing matches. You know, this dream of having that uh, it just, it, it isn't going to work for them. And I think that almost leads nicely in another point that we kind of got right, which is going D to C isn't necessarily the only way to go through this. And, you know, again, something that as of the time of this recording, I don't know if it's public yet, but it will be public by the time, you know, we just talked about the NBA launching their new app, which is just another further example. It It is not, there's multiple ways to skin a cat. I don't know if that expression exists outside the U S but it definitely exists where I'm from.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Uh, and yeah, the NBA apps just been launched. I, I did just see, a. a Um, a notification on my phone. So it is actually official now. So we're not going to get in trouble for that last pod we recorded. Um, But uh, yeah, they're going for that whole single destination. So there is live content, there is highlight content, there is tiktok style content there is social media there is membership community there is personalization it's it they're trying to create a, a true hub for fans to come to the nba uh, and that's what every sports property is going to be doing you know back, back to what we about the subs model well the whole conversation will now be about uh ARPU and wallet, right? Average revenue per user and share of wallet. Like it's going to be how much money from a business perspective can we generate from fans? What is the lifetime value of that relationship, which is massively speculative in this day and age, but that is going to be the types of measures that people will be focused on. I even heard, I saw someone recover this that I think was maybe in the Warner Brothers Discovery latest financials. And they announced that, you know, even the word in the term subscriber might become a bit of a, a wide, ele- not a wide elephant, but like a, a misleading term to use to measure success these days because one subscriber might be completely dormant, but they're paying a fee. Now, uh, is that success for you? Or is it about the amount they're consuming, what the engagement levels are? What is, does success look like if you're a media company truly? Uh, and the subs model and the subs measure is one that isn't necessarily the uh, Empirical best measure, you know, is it time spent on platform? Is it number of minutes consumed? Is it the amount of spend and uh, access to different platforms? You know, fantasy sports, NFTs, like you talked about, what are they really doing on your platforms? And the NBA's uh, app is an, is a great example of someone who is looking to go, let's say, all in with being the centralized hub for their sport. Uh, and we see others doing bits and pieces of this, but I think you're just going to see more of them double down. there's either the integration of OTT into their platform uh, so it becomes a single centralized hub in fact when we did talk to man united's uh, phil lynch about their platform that was one of the things i think he talked about was they have man U TV sort of sitting adjacent is trying to bring those two platforms together so you're going to see more and more of this i think is that consolidation of just content channels into one centralized home
0: yeah it's really interesting not to, to linger on it too much but i've spoken interestingly to different agencies that represent um sporting brands and basically what they talk about their biggest headache right now is what he well multiple people said it the what they described as currency conversion Mm -hmm. in the sense of what you said is what is the value of one subscriber compared to 10 viewers on which platform, uh, what was the cost for them to do that? And I I think to your point, that is something that's only going to grow and uh, be more and more relevant, particularly as we expand D2C to think about it beyond just content consumption and broader e-commerce and all those different elements that tie into that.
1: Well, yeah, look, and you think about where we were, let's say even six months ago with the NFTs, Space right digital collectibles now that everyone's calling them. they're not calling them NFTs at the moment anymore you know One Footballs launched a bunch of them with some pretty big major players like Animoca Brands and, and a bunch of them are coming into the market uh, and the the sort of the what would you call it? the journey that we've had with NFTs some of them has been met with skepticism the digital collectible space is here to stay you know I think we can all safely say that. And I think if that hadn't had that sort of, let's say, bump in the road in terms of perception around NFTs and the valuations going up and down so or fluctuating so much, that I think you'd see more sports getting even more excited about that space and doubling down on that ingesting that into their own platforms now i think they're taking a little bit more cautiously in in terms of the direct integration and also because there's partners like um, your third party partners that are you know investing into this space you think about the old school collectibles the trading cards your upper decks your top um, business your top Business cards, gosh, basketball cards, uh, and so forth. The people used to buy previously. Well, a lot of those companies and then fanatics, they're willing to pay a premium to these sports properties to take on those licensing rights themselves and do it themselves. So, um, but I do think expect to see more of those being becoming part of that single, uh, a single platform and single hub that many sports are trying to create.
0: Well, that does tie into to one of the points. The, the one of the last points within that presentation was, you know, blockchain was going to be the new silver bullet for OTT. And I think to your point, what's probably happened between now and then is this mirage of a fast cash grab has sort of disappeared. Um, it's people are being more pragmatic about. It. I think it's one of those things. There's always that sense of if I don't get in on it, it's going to be gone before I get a chance. And Then. We probably never actually understood the space. We just saw someone's doing it really well. Someone's making money off of it. I need to go do it. And it's not that the movement's going to take a little bit, but people just being a bit more pragmatic in their approach to how realistic it is that Web3 can be a part of what they're going to be doing. But if they do it right, it has got still has plenty of potential.
1: Yeah, I think it's just one of those things that we're going to have to work it out. Like the industry is going to work through a few things. What does work? What doesn't? Not just throwing the kitchen sink of web three at this at their sports property and and seeing what works and what doesn't and at the at the cost of the fan Um, but there is going to be some really great use cases that are already evolving and developing around things like ticketing you know ticketing is the best example where blockchain can can be used uh and will is being used today and more of that's going to to proliferate uh, yeah, now and that will remove, so that second uh, what do you call it? it, the reseller market or the second-hand market. You know, looking at tickets even for the the Wembley game, um, which is uh, sorry, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium NFL game that we have uh, coming up uh, this weekend, uh, which will be probably uh, in the past when uh, this this pod goes live. But you know, they weren't available at all to buy directly through the platform, but you can buy them through a reseller. Well, blockchain will change that right? And why that's important in the digital media streaming space is that can all be housed in the one centralized home, the official home for that sports. So everyone who's going to buy a ticket knows they can trust that those tickets are legitimate. They're a legitimate source. And you can see the the, the background and the interest and the, what the original pricing was and all those sorts of things all on display. So that is probably the best example of blockchain technology in the sports space. And that I think will become part of Almost every sports platform uh, in the future is that ticketing aspect over time, depending on what deals they have uh, in place. Uh, and equally around data, around media rights and so forth, you will expect to see blockchain play a pretty key role. But I think it'll be a step-by-step approach from here on. We'll, we'll calm down a little bit and then we'll start to seeing it step-by-step come into the market. Things around fantasy, NFTs and ticketing are the obvious place. Uh, the other areas we'll, we'll have to wait and see when they arrive. I'm still bullish, so it's going to happen. It's just a matter of time. But moving into something that
0: we probably got a little bit right, but also have been proven that we're still wrong on this one. One of the things we talked about 12 months ago is we've reached a tipping point of where the streaming experience is better than the linear experience. And what we talked about was some of the different features that – go inside the, the different platforms and you know there's some really incredible platforms these days that let you do all different kinds of interactivity with those uh, personalization and it was getting to that point of why would i go to a real life game when i can just stream it from home with all these different features and on that side of things it, it feels like we we were right about that prediction that technology is finally catching up but at the same time we've seen amazon trillion dollar company that you referenced even they had a bit of a struggle with their launch of their new exclusive partnership for Thursday Night Football at the NFL. We've obviously talked about the zone's issues with Sirion Italy for the last two years. That, you know what? Even though it, it's possible, streaming is still really hard. And maybe we're not quite at that tipping point we maybe thought we were.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think when we talked about that, what we were talking about at the time was the, yeah, that experience, right? There's all these extra initiatives and technologies and engagement tools that people can use that are available that are awesome and that will add value to the experience. But you've got to get the basics right. And we're not there yet. Linear is still king when it comes to that lean back experience. Uh, and much of sports is leaning leaning into to that still as its primary channel streaming is the future Um, however you know the problems we've seen with the big scale events is still there Uh, and it's really disappointing to see that we still are having some challenges and and some people will say that you know the amazon and thursday night football um, example is look they got it pretty right you know, maybe 90, 90% of it was right. But there's still a million, I think it could be a million plus people getting impacted by this if I'm pulling percentages out of the air. So don't hold me to account on those numbers. But, you know, there's a percentage of audiences being impacted with, with linear. That is, That just does not happen. It's such a minute um, group that might be impacted in any given uh, broadcast. So it's disappointing that we're not there yet. But because these big tech companies have arrived, I do feel pretty comfortable that they're going to sort it out. They're going to find a way to solve all these issues because it's worth too much to them and they have too much money and resource to throw at things. And this is what they do. They solve problems. So good to have these guys in the live sports streaming corner to help us solve what is, I still think, holding us back. It's a bit of a barrier to us really seeing streaming proliferate and, and scale to the area and levels that it should be.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the underlying point to where we started about big tech getting involved is not only is the sports industry probably excited because that's one more bidder that they can throw into the mix during these negotiations. But as you say, if anyone's going to have the money to fix these problems, it's going to be them. So it could be just a, a source of revenue or source of resource to at least solve some of the issues that we've seemingly talked about on the podcast at the OTT Summit events that these guys might actually accelerate that development.
1: Yeah, I mean, just on on, on that last bit, I'd say that you know I've seen some examples where uh, events are being scaled, but the pirist pirated stream is better, or these events you think would be pretty easy to deliver are still having major problems, and 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 we still have a lot of work to go through. But piracy is linked in this whole space as well. That's another problem that they need to solve, particularly for these major events. But I think we'll get there. But just when is a, a, a big question as to whether we have let's say the linear quality experience uh, served up on streaming.
0: Well, again, Nick, you're just knocking down the next point, laying me up for just perfectly. So we're talking about that Scotty Michael relationship right there. And piracy is another one that we talked about. We said piracy is still the greatest threat to the sports streaming industry. And part of that is to your point, the professional streamers out there. Yeah. It's a great experience because usually I have to go to my phone to figure out, is this game on BT or sky today? Don't need to ask that question with a pirated um, platform. And Even then, you know, with one of the things we see with all the fragmentation, piracy is winning because every time you split one of those into a new stream of distribution, it's just one more stream that they can potentially steal from, as opposed to having that nice, secure, you know, single location, have all your eyes focused on there. You know, is piracy still the biggest threat in all of this?
1: Oh, gosh. I mean, it it still is costing the industry billions. Uh, And we've covered it a few times in a few different pods, like the Peter Scott from Water. Uh, media is a great conversation around that i talked about i talked with um the legal the general counsel from the ufc about what they're doing to tackle that you know there's a the legal side and then there's the tech side and both have huge challenges to overcome if sports is ever going to win the war uh, against piracy uh, anywhere to the same level that we've seen say in music where um spotify sort of solved a fair bit of that over time um, it needs the industry needs a Spotify moment, as we've said before, and uh, that doesn't look anywhere close to it. Uh, I do think there's one potential source for that, which we can dig into. I think when we talk about possible trends to come, but at the moment, piracy is continuing to win the battle. Uh, I mean, even the the zone in in Syria in in Italy. Uh, I've, I think I shared it before in a previous pub, like Roger Mitchell who runs the Are Entertain pod sort of shared with me that, you know, he's based out there and he could get a pirate stream straight away, but he couldn't get onto DAZN and he, would, he even paid for it and everything and couldn't get onto the platform, but he could easily get onto a pirate platform if he wanted to. And that's just an example of where the, that's the sad situation we have right now.
0: It's interesting. I'm not sure if it's because they're service providers and it's not in their best interest to do so. But I've heard some service providers say Spotify is actually not a good example of uh, the impact of piracy. And maybe I'm speaking totally anecdotally. But for like me personally, I think what Spotify has done is what sports would hope to do, which is could I still pirate my music and listen to it for free? Yeah, just like I could do for sports. The thing about Spotify is the experience is so good. The personalization is so good and the price is so minimal realistically it's just not worth the experience of Pirate. And interestingly, you know, we didn't talk about Peter Scott as being one of the highlighted sessions, but I'm going to yeah. go ahead and say anytime Peter Scott speaks, you should listen to a great podcast, to listen to, but when he spoke at the OTT USA summit, he mentioned it. Let's just have Sportify where everybody goes into one source. Everyone puts all their rights into one bundle and you just pay for what you want out of it. If you want the NFL, it will cost you 12 a month. If you want the NBA, it's an additional 10 a month, but it all comes out of the same place. And I was like, let's make it happen. Sportify.
1: I reckon that, and that's one of the trends that I, uh, big bold predictions I'd say is I'm not sure how far away it is, but I think that's where Apple wants to get to. I think that's it. I think Apple wants to be that, or could be that if the MLS deal pays off. Um, You know, we even saw there was actually rumors that Google were testing this out a while ago. Um, There's some beta examples that I saw online or some some mock-ups where a centralized home, a one-stop shop, um, as we've, we've sort of alluded to you don't need five, 10 places to go to, to watch content. You need one. And if you have that, you become the home, the hub. Then you'll make life so easy for users that they'll be willing to pay something for that. Um, Or things like advertising will proliferate to a point where, um, you know, the the revenues that they can generate perhaps because of the targeted nature of advertising might be able to drive revenues up per thousand Um, that might be able to mitigate the need to have to have a premium paid for, um, subscription offering you know you, you the uh, the example is peacock have that hybrid model where i think the numbers i saw a while ago in their financials if i remember correctly whether the arpu the average revenue per user for their hybrid model so their mid-tier was actually higher than their subs premium subs model because they were able to generate enough revenue from advertising on top of their base subs package to sort of mitigate the balance there so if they can continue to do that sort of thing then I think we might have a chance like you know the advertising led model because other than that just that whole subscription journey is is such a difficult one to take people on these days Well, I figure now, you know,
0: we're we're really getting into some of these future trends. So maybe let's, you know, we've talked a little bit about what we got right, what we got wrong. Maybe let's go ahead and put our, you know, flag down on a couple other things and maybe we'll come review for the hundredth episode. you know, maybe it won't be far enough in the future for us to, to, to judge some of these, but at least give us something to talk about when we hit triple digits. And, you know, the first one that you talked about is, you know, consolidation is going to ramp up and, you know, we've seen what's happened with, Warner Media and Discovery and BT Sport. Um, I'm not sure if it's public knowledge yet, but, uh, or if it's been 100% confirmed, but there's obviously very strong rumors about 11 into zone. You know, so you think consolidation, this is just going to continue to ramp up.
1: Yeah, I think it is confirmed because I saw a high five picture or a like from um, the CEO of Dazone and Andrea Regrazani, who's the owner of Eleven Sports. So I think if they're posting pictures of high fives together, I think we're, we're all clear. Um, but yeah, I think we're just going to see more of that. We need to. I think we need to for as an industry, but these organizations need to because a lot of them are finding it hard to overcome that funding gap, you know, the funding costs of creating a platform, managing a platform, managing and creating content, uh, buying content, um, marketing and acquisition, all those sorts of things. So the more resources we can pull together and consolidate, the more likely these businesses are going to be in succeeding. Um, And and the Warner Brothers Discovery is the the big example of all that. But I think you're just going to see a lot more of these, particularly in the sports space where um, you're having a few sports rights here and there. It just isn't enough to build a real sustainable business. You have to be Uh, Taking a more complete approach, Uh, and that's going to take investment. Whether you're, no matter who you are, you're going to have to have a scale to be able to throw some money into it, rather than just building a a business around a niche, niche offering alone with very limited uh, monetization model built around it.
0: Well, it'll be interesting looking specifically at the Zone Eleven. One, what I guess, makes a little bit different to BT Sport with Discovery is Eleven and Zone are still two explicit sports media properties where the BT sport one just made so much sense with discovery because there's that larger package in there. You know, we talk about it all the time, David Gandler, you know, come for the sports stay for the entertainment. It'll be interesting to see with that particular one with the zone and 11, if it, uh, you know, necessarily gets them over the hump in terms of where it seems these trends are going in terms of, it's going to perhaps be a bit difficult to just be a sports platform.
1: Yeah, completely. And, and those two deal examples you've given, I think what would be underrated in a lot of uh, instances will be the investment in technology. You know, Some of those businesses have really impressive sort of tech stacks or tools or initiatives or content businesses that... Um, they can bring to the table. So 11, 11 have a pretty comprehensive business from the originally their MyKuju business they they acquired. Um, and, you know, they're powering some of the stuff that is happening uh, on FIFA Plus's platform, from what I understand, as well as with the Discovery and 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 Warner Brothers, as well as what BT Sport bring to the table. They all bring new technology, sort of certain technologies and, and skills that maybe the others don't have. Um, and they can complement, you bring those things those things together and you can have real best in class in a lot of areas versus in a lot of instances they need to build things from scratch or find partners for and go through a big massive process to do so so that bit alongside the content play which you're uh, talking about there I think there is more uh, opportunity it's always hard to see or understand you know how they're going to migrate audiences from platform to platform you know particularly in this world of subscription where let's quite be frank, a lot of subscribers almost always on every platform sit pretty dormant. There's a big percentage uh, that don't are paying and they're willing to pay and they're not really consuming it to value. So or, so these properties are going to be very careful about how they shift and aggregate those audiences. But uh, I think I think it's an important move that the industry has to to take now to to globalize and to maximize the opportunity.
0: Yeah. Moving on to another one we want to make a prediction on. It's something you sort of uh, kind of, cast a shadow on weird OTT usa event in new york back in march but you know to put more out there on the global scale on the stream time platform in our audience is that you know one of the things we've seen particularly in the u.s which has to do with the fact that it's changed legalization and just being more accessible now you know everyone is all in on betting but you're willing to say or i guess for this case you're willing to bet it's not going to to, to bridge the gap basically in terms of making up some of that revenue that everyone's looking for
1: yeah, a great example that uh, I use a lot is the the Fubo TV example. So we had David Gunther, the CEO, on the podcast a while back. They were talking big on betting. they would be making big moves in betting, big commitments, big deals. Um, you know, in the US, they have to roll out any betting uh, platform product has to roll out state by state. You need to get licenses and all those things. But whilst the revenues might be of a decent level if you do it well. The margins are when it's such a competitive space, right? You know, a lot of these these betting platforms willing to take a loss because they can see the uh, short term loss because they can see the lifetime value and returns if they keep you as a user. But broadcast platforms, whether it's Fubo TV or DAZN, you know, DAZN has um, their CEO uh, is uh, an ex CEO of Entain, uh, a betting business. Are uh, they going to be doing more in that space? Um, Because they want to integrate that experience. They want to integrate the betting into the sports site. Well, I've seen some of the numbers that platforms like Fubo were creating, and it was not enough to move the needle. It was not enough to create any sort of impact. And the margins were really, really tight. Now, it was only early days and early stages. But to validate that, I suppose, Fubo TV did come out, then come out and announce they weren't going to be following down that line of doing it themselves, and we're going to look at partnerships instead. So I think you'll see more of that about more partnerships. And quite frankly, the the big broadcasters, the big sports properties, are able to just generate some pretty incredible immediate returns by doing deals with betting partners that so they don't need to try and basically reinvent the wheel to do it themselves because the checks are too they're too big. And you know, if you think about it from a betting uh, agency or your DraftKings and FanDuel's and those first movers in that you know, fantasy and betting space, which they've now both dabble into, um, they're willing to take a hit on some of the costs that they're doing in those partnerships for the marketing side. You know, even if if those big NFL deals that they might be signing, uh, or I think if I remember correctly, I can't remember if it was FanJuel or DraftKings, did a deal with Amazon Prime for Thursday Night Football. Um anyway, they're doing that deal. And even if they don't make necessarily money directly around that deal the marketing exposure they'll get from being involved with the broadcast is so massive that they are willing to potentially i would imagine take a bit of a hit on the direct return for the net benefit of the marketing uh, roi that they'll generate and so my point there on the fund the gap bit is betting will create huge amount of money for u.s sports um but not in the way that we're going to take it all in ourselves and do it ourselves and finally, on that bit, then there's the European and UK markets, we've, which we've talked about before, where they're tightening up heavily on regulations on that because they've seen what betting can do to society. US is a whole nother ballgame. US is not worried about that at the moment. They're going all in. And because it's going state by state, it's going to be very hard to pull the, pull the pin on that in the future. But UK and Europe... the the let's say the the strings are being tightened is not the term I'm trying to look for, but um the restrictions are coming into place and making it harder and harder for betting to make impact in sports. Uh, and as a result, that's going to be become a, a smaller revenue stream for the the industry as well.
0: Well, tying us back into something we've talked about, we've teased it a couple times now and I think there's probably some of the more bold takes. So you know we'll jump into, you know, talking specifically about big tech. Um, you kind of alluded to it a little bit, but there's two companies there that I think you have slightly different opinions on which direction they're going to potentially head or where you want to make those predictions for us to review somewhere in the future. But, you know, Apple and Amazon, you know, we talk about big companies, obviously trillions of dollars um, have all the money in the world to do it. But you think that the one's going to go one way and one, maybe not so much based on what we're seeing.
1: Yeah, I look, I'd say in, we don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but I think Apple, have talked about it before, I really think that they're going to make a play at some stage to become that master aggregator for OTT services. If you think about it, you know, Apple TV is going to have MLSs available as a pro- product and proposition in the platform. Right alongside it, you could have the NBA's uh, league pass if they do a deal, the game pass for the NFL, and you could start lining up all the different OTT sports platforms on that platform and make it available, uh, that one-stop shop experience, for people to to find uh, on their platform, and I just think they just set up for that so well, you know, almost to create like an app store uh, equivalent, but for OTT services. So I, I just really think that they're best set up for it. It's a, it's a bit of a, a bolder prediction, but I just feel like they're absolutely perfectly set up to make that move, particularly some of the signs we're seeing around the MLS relationship. Um, So that's one. And then the other one is, is around Amazon. Now I think where we got to with Amazon is everyone was so pumped about Amazon coming in, but the last couple of deals, particularly in the U S we've seen, they haven't been able to get necessary. Some of those deals across the line, whether it's through college sports, whether it's through F one and they're even having to pay a premium like they did with the NFL's Thursday night football to get those rights because there's one thing they don't offer, and that they don't offer discoverability. They don't offer easy access to the sports content on their platform yet. Uh, and so there's a there's a reach problem, there's a discoverability problem, and there's also a data problem. Amazon's very protective of what data they give to their partners. So you couple all those things together. Amazon isn't necessarily the must-have partner for sports that I think many of us did expect. Um, but they're great to have as part of the, the conversation to sort of drive up pricing and drive up the bidding wars, but all these sports properties are having to make a call and at what point do they go, you know what, the extra money that you're offering is great, but we'll take the the established players like your ESPNs, MB, NBCs and, and in other markets, all the mainstream guys and go, okay, you can bring all this other stuff to the table, all the shoulder content, all the extra coverage outside of just the live product. Um, that's super important to us. And Amazon just hasn't nailed that yet. Now, could they get there? Yes, they can. But I've been on Amazon or Prime Video as they call it now. They don't call it Amazon anymore. And I'm shocked to see the amount of sports content I can't find on there. Or I have to really actively go hunting for it. It doesn't just hit me. And they should see with all of the data, they should know that I'm a fan of sports by now, I would think. So they got a bit of work to do. They get that right. They might change the game, but they haven't. And I still think that is a is a big hump for them to to get over.
0: Yeah, well, I'd have to agree. Even for me, anecdotally, just trying to find the TV shows, you know, Netflix always has continue watching at the top bar. For whatever reason, Amazon's down like five, six. I'm like, stop suggesting shows. I clearly just want to watch the next one. But, you know, just simple things, simple things, get them right. Uh, Another one we want to kind of talk about is we originally, about 12 months ago, referred to is we thought social media had found its place. You know, it's not necessarily to be that sports streaming platform, and it's just going to kind of be what it's going to be. But, you maybe perhaps think there's actually reason to be a bit more bullish on sports uh, with their relationships with social media coming up in the near future?
1: Well, yeah, I just think that we've got to a point now. It's actually been a lot trickier than I think everyone expected. And that is that e-commerce relationship with social, right? So historically, you couldn't, up until really recently, you couldn't get people from social directly to to buy merchandise, buy ticketing and so forth. But we're now starting to see signs that that can actually happen. Uh, we had TikTok, Harish Sama uh, from TikTok on the pod recently. They've just done a deal with Ticketmaster to allow ticket purchasing uh, and sort of remove the, the barriers to making those purchases directly via and through their platforms. YouTube is making some big moves in in e-commerce uh, as are as Instagram and Twitter and so forth. And I think that is a huge moment because sports has got a huge audience base on all these social media platforms, but the monetization part, you know, has been really limited to what can you do with that audience? You know, is it is it sell advertising? Not really. Is it sell digital sponsorships? A bit. But this e-commerce one is just the most obvious one that people can start being driven to. Uh, and so now we're almost there where that that can be sort of really unlocked. And I think that's going to really open the doors for that monetization bit. But like YouTube's role, TikTok's role, I think is as important as ever for sports as a whole to make sure that they're constantly engaging with their audiences outside of the live sporting experience. In fact, I would go as far as to say their role is more important than a live sports platforms experience in many ways. You know, for me as someone who I talked about this on the TikTok pod, who's someone who consumes a lot of sports content, I watch way more non-live sports than I do of the live stuff, particularly as I follow US US sports pretty closely in the time zones. So their roles of YouTube, TikToks, and some of the the OTT platforms that I subscribe to, to keep me up to date and keep keep me connected with what's going on, Uh, around fantasy sports latest news and so forth is such a key role and that's what the social media platforms do so well Um, the owner operated less so
0: yeah i mean i think we we all think of tiktok as that short form video platform but some of the numbers you see with youtube shorts are actually incredible and yeah i think that that short form vertical format isn't, isn't going anywhere. If anything, it's expanding. And like we've talked about YouTube being a part of the larger Google family, it's going to have some of those benefits that you see with Amazon and that it's just got so many in-house tools to plug it, that it can, it can get even bigger. Moving into the last one, I th- the last two, but I think that in some ways they overlap with each other a little bit based on where you can find um, them, you know, talking about the, the continued, I guess, complexity of the connected TV wars and also the rise of fast channels at which you're going to find
1: on those connected TVs. Yeah, look, I just think uh, it's an area that we've been learning a lot about lately. I think connected TVs have quickly taken such an important place in the way sports is consumed, um, you know, we're still looking at it as more of a lean back experience in what connected TVs role is in terms of, at least from the sports perspective, it's not uh, a lean in experience. Um, whereas more of the, some of the apps we're seeing on other platforms are really engaging, really interactive. Um, but you're going to see that technology and that innovation evolve and come a long way. And one of the things I think we don't take into account is we did a little bit on fast channels recently and discoverability is, a, a, it plays a key role in uh, there, but there's limited space available on these operating systems, these connected TV operating systems. So it's going to be a real fight, a real tussle for how you get exposure on these connected devices. Um, So discoverability is going to be a huge, huge challenge. And that's, again, another reason why, whether it's Apple or other players, have to be a place where content's being aggregated so people have a one-stop shop to get there. Otherwise, you're not going to stumble across NFL Game Pass on your connected TV device. You have to actively go search for it unless they have relationships in place with some of the major broadcasters, uh, major apps on those connected TV devices. So I just think that fundamentally that plus, you know, fast roll in terms of that that streaming linear offering and helping discoverability there is just going to become such an important space and place for all sports to, to spend more time on to make sure that people are consuming them on those those devices um we've even seen the mlb do a recent deal on um, to make sure that they've got a fast channel available in europe through their relationship with sports tribal who've talked about before so yeah, I just think that that connected TV war. There's a literally a defined amount of space available on those platforms. It's going to mean the big broadcasters are going to be fighting it out, and that means sports has got to fight to make sure they have the coverage and and the presence on those platforms that, that they deserve. Well, for anyone that wants to
0: to learn a little bit more about that, as we continue to shamelessly plug away different podcasts, um, you can check out the deep dive we did with Marion Ranche uh, on Fast Channels again. If that's something you're not overly familiar with, she's clearly absolutely the expert on that and you know i think did a really excellent job sort of explaining actually what is fast where it fits and sort of come up some of the how-tos and best case uh, or best practices for actually going through those fast channels so again just another one of the podcasts if you know i'm assuming everyone's listening to everyone because you guys are all great but if you haven't it's just one to go back and listen to
1: Yeah, definitely. Really good pod there. Uh, And we've got a few others but are more explainer types, which I think we're going to continue to do more about because the world is changing. The industry is changing so much. And all these platforms we've talked about are playing different roles. Again, to what we talked about just 12 months ago. So look, looking forward to the next 50 episodes and seeing where we get to in 12 months time or so just because I think we're going to see a lot of change, a lot of movement, a lot of innovation coming our way.
0: Absolutely, Nick. Been a pleasure, and you know, just want to echo Nick's sentiments. You know, thank you to everyone that's you know joined us along the way. And I would just say it is always great, you know, getting the the random email, random LinkedIn message from people that uh, sort of just say, hey, really enjoyed the recent episode. I think sometimes we don't always take into account, uh, you know, where we're getting messages from. You know, I'm getting them from Australia, America, Latin America. So it's always really great to hear that. And as always, if you guys ever want to reach out, if there's any topics you want us to discuss, or you know, we had some people reach out to us on Twitter about the The British Basketball League you know we, we enjoy all that engagement we're looking to do more things uh, from a community perspective if Twitter will let us set up a Twitter community page maybe getting some things set up at our OTT Summit but certainly for those of you that have been engaged with us uh, for the last 50 episodes we want to keep giving you that great content
1: um, and hopefully do some more stuff you know individually on a personal level with you I can't add much more to, uh, to it than that, Chris. So look, it's been, it's been fun, 50 episodes. Let's uh, on- onwards and upwards to the next ones. And uh, thanks everyone for, for listening in. And yeah, get in touch if you have any thoughts or any ideas on what we should be covering next. But we've got some pretty exciting pods coming up soon. So you will have to stay tuned. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Before you go,
0: myself and Nick would just like to thank you for tuning into this episode of Streamtime. If you found the episode insightful, please make sure you like and subscribe on whichever platform you listen to. As a growing podcast, we'd greatly appreciate your support in sharing or writing a review. Ultimately, we want this podcast to not only entertain you, but also hopefully help you navigate the digital sports landscape. If you have any feedback on previous episodes or any topics and speakers you'd like to hear from in the future, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can find myself and Nick Meacham on LinkedIn or on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at SportsProChris1. Nick can be found at SportsProNick. Of course, if you want to stay fully up to date on the sports business news cycle, please make sure to visit the SportsPro Media website or sign up to one of our several newsletters to make sure you don't miss anything. Once again, thank you, and we look forward to you joining us next week on the Streamtime podcast.